Today's episode is all about values. How can knowing your values and having them clearly defined help you grow your business, attract the right customers, and also the right people to work in your business, and how they can help you with every decision you have to make to make your business a true success. But knowing this stuff is one thing, actually implementing it and applying it in your business is another. Thankfully, I'm joined by a values expert, Chet Mojaria, who has written not one but two books on this subject. And he gives some brilliant advice on how to define your values using something cool called anti-values, which I'd never heard of before, but the exercise really helped me to nail this in my business. He includes that and loads of other useful implementable advice, and there's just masses of value in this episode. It was a pleasure to record and my pleasure to share this with you today. So the question is this, how do entrepreneurs like us who don't have an endless supply of cash, how do we leverage the best apps, virtual assistants, automation tools and systems to scale our businesses, increase our profits and have more time to do what we love to do each day? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Dr. Steve Day and this is Systemize Your Success. Hey Chet, thanks very much indeed for coming along and having a chat with me today. So just kick off, tell the audience who you are, what you do, why you're here. Sure, Steve. Well, thank you very much for having me on, first of all. So yeah, my name's Chet Morjaria. You can call me a business and communications coach and the company I run is called Realign Global. And we coach entrepreneurs, mainly coaches and consultants who love what they do, purpose-driven, truly purpose-driven, not this purpose-driven narrative that, that seems to be emerging, but really meaning and soulful purpose-driven. They love what they do, but they struggle to create meaningful offerings and meaningful marketing that are a true reflection of their value and values. And that's what I've been teaching hundreds of coaches, hundreds of business owners to do over the, the last 10 years. Fantastic. Um, a little bit more perhaps, yeah, yeah. That, and I see some real crossover, Steve, in, uh, in what you do and what I do. And uh, some, some other stuff then is, so meaningful work, powerful words. That's the intersection that I work best in. That's what I speak on most of the time, uh, communicating powerfully and, and meaningfully with clients. And uh, my book is on this stuff. So work worth doing, it's called work worth doing, align your value with your values and make a meaningful mark on the world. Uh, lucky enough to pick up an award on that highly commended short business book, 2021. It's an Amazon number one bestseller. And the next book is the right clients. And that's around how to set boundaries, niche your business and all of that stuff. And what makes this work meaningful to me is when clients feel aligned to their work, to their words, and to their world. And if I may say so, Steve, I think the bit where the crossover really comes between you and I, I was digging back into your website uh, just before this podcast, and you talk a lot about using your time how you wish and living life on your terms and you know running your business, not letting your business run you. And life on your terms is a big phrase for me and my clients. So definitely see that in our work. Yeah, I mean, we've chatted chatted we had a chat previously and uh we did uh, yeah and that was a, a a great fun experience and i think we um we realized that there is a huge amount of crossover and i think one of the things that really resonated with me was the just the simple the values element mm. of it and the, the the work worth doing and you talk a lot about values within that context and we talk about values 
with every aspect of the business. And it's something that I've, you know, you read about a lot in books, you, you know, you create your, your five values, or whatever, and everyone has integrity at the top normally. And, um, and then, but it's putting meaning behind it. So what are those values actually mean to you what what do they mean to you in a business just putting them on a piece of paper doesn't mean anything and so what advice can you give rather than you just giving my opinions just you're here to obviously share your expertise but what is it that values why are they so powerful what should yeah. we be doing with them in our businesses mm -hmm. and how do we probably the second question but how do we come up with something that isn't just a cliche Hey, yes, that's all how integrity and honesty and hard yeah. work. You know, so I love everything that you said there, Steve. Couldn't agree more with with every single word. In that, uh, first of all, it, the great question is: okay, why are values so important? Because until we understand them, we don't really know why we're creating them, and we don't really have that intent behind it. We don't have the purpose behind understanding our purpose. So I'll definitely talk to that first. We can, we can go over a quick exercise, one which over the years I've found is the quickest, simplest, most powerful way of understanding your, your values as a human being. And then your business comes as uh, another conversation becomes as an extrapolation of that. And then absolutely, once we understand those two things, maybe the third question is, okay, now we've got them, what can we do with them? And I think all those questions are equally as important. Right. So in terms of um, the, the first one, then, what, why are values so important? I think I'm going to lean this, obviously, into a systems and outsourcing perspective. And I would say that from that perspective, values are important because they enable us to make meaningful decisions about aspects of our business. So that might be about our team. It might be about our time or it might be about our terms. So, you know, like terms and conditions, boundaries and, and everything else. Uh, and those three things obviously are going to be critically important when we are looking to take what we believe in as founders, as entrepreneurs, and then develop that within the business, develop those things that are probably the reasons we set up the business in the first place, probably drive us within the business, drive our, our ideas, whether we know it or not, whether we're in tune with this or not, they, our values probably drive our decisions if we are a purpose-driven entrepreneur, so to speak. Um, so understanding what these are is just a really powerful, cool awareness piece so that when we are then taking this stuff, yes, we can create the standard operating procedures and yes, we can create the systems, but underlying that and at the highest level or the lowest common denominator, no matter which way you want to look at it, we have the values so that your team or um, you know an outsourcer or whatever, they're not just following steps in a system. They understand our intent. They understand the intent of the business. And then that whole work becomes more meaningful for everyone involved. If we're talking about vision, then you know we're, we're leading to something much more powerful. Values, though, are the grounding piece for me. So these are the pieces that if you're unsure, if someone was looking at what you'd written down, Steve, and they were unsure what you meant, then we would hope the values would serve as a guidance piece. They serve as guidance for behaviors and, and decisions. So does that make sense in terms of why uh, the importance within systemize, systemization and outsourcing? Would, would you agree? Yeah, totally. I mean, we use values now in as a big part of our recruitment process. Brilliant. Recruitment is a huge one. You know, if you, if you, you can get somebody out into your company thinking they're a great fit and they've got all the ticks in the boxes and all the references and everything, but then you find out that they don't share 
the same values as you do and things can go downhill pretty quickly. And we, we've had that experience, you know, yeah. I think most small businesses do, but since we've introduced our values, published them as part of our recruitment process, right. part of our interview process. Now the candidates we get through seem to be from the, I know, love that you do that, Steve. Yeah, I love they, that you they, put them front and center yeah. job adverts on just, uh, we're looking for these skill sets because ultimately Everyone talks, this is what makes me laugh sometimes that everyone talks on recruiting on fit. Uh, and ultimately what that ends up as is, uh, are you an idiot? Okay. We won't recruit, recruit you then. And okay. Are you like a relatively nice human being? Okay. You're, you're probably a good fit. Whereas values are so much more than that, right? If you can put them front and center, I think for any kind of marketing and recruitment is, is marketing ultimately, you know, that, um, that good marketing compels the right people and repels the wrong people. Right. And, and I think that that saves you time and energy in the recruitment process. And then I love that when you have uh, your interview process that you include values driven pieces in there, there is a, a piece, one small one page in the book, which is devoted to, to specifically this, what type of questions can you ask in an interview based process where you are using truly using values to determine whether someone has expressed those values in previous work, whether they know what that means in their existing work, whether they can tell you what that value actually is when it comes to doing work. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Um, so maybe let's move on to, to how yeah. to create this stuff then. So first of all, like what are we creating here? What, what does it mean to create values? So you mentioned um, not having values that are just words on a page, and I couldn't agree more uh, that's an absolute nightmare um, because uh, like ultimately it's just it's just a waste of, of, of time and resource. It's not doing the stuff that we've just talked about. It's not doing that because if you don't truly believe in your values, if they haven't come from a place that you can stand by them and say, this is me, these, these words are who I am. You know, if you were to, um, if you were to, uh, just give someone a quick understanding of, of who you are and you were to say what your values are, then the idea is those values would be so true to you that you feel like you've represented yourself well. That's a good stress test for, for your values. You know, Would this person truly know me to my soul by, uh, by, by these values? So yes, we want to create these value words, like you mentioned, you know, honesty and integrity or like often come up. And honesty is one of mine, to be fair. What's also useful to create, and this is just a really simple strategy to make them on the ground meaningful, is a value statement. So what does that value mean day to day? If you were to give an instruction to a team member, and this is, this is why this can be powerful because you can put it on your wall, you can put it on a poster, you can put it on a recruitment ad, but what would that value mean? For example, if you did have honesty as a value and you know, you've gone through the exercise we're just about to describe and you've ended up with honesty, you haven't just pulled it from some other corporate website or something, then what does honesty mean to you? Because Steve, honesty probably means something different to you than it means to me. So for me, honesty means telling the truth regardless of consequence. And that might not be what honesty means for you, right? So okay. let me jump in just for the sake of the listeners to see a contrasting sure. opinion of the same word. So we have, we are honest and caring is one of yep. our values. Nice. Yep. Yep. And we are, we are three statements, in fact, that, to qualify this. So we have, Brilliant. we never abuse the trust of our team, our customers, or our partners. We yep. do the right thing. We take pride in our work and we own our mistakes. Brilliant. So those are such good guidance pieces. You have value statements, plural. So, you know, absolutely brilliant. 
those, those, Steve, are so cool because they are true pieces of guidance then. Someone can look at that and in a given situation with this, with a given client who's maybe being a difficult client or whatever, like they'll know how you want them to behave, how they should act and behave in accordance with what the business represents. And that's super cool. Um, so values and value statements, a good way of getting to the heart of your values is an exercise around anti-values. So this, this exists in the book too. Um, and the reason that, that uh, I have I've ended up here, so I've, don't know, tens of different ways of getting to values in my pocket over the years that I'd use in different scenarios. Most of the time, 80% of the time now, whether doing this from a business perspective or personal perspective, I'll start here. Anti-values is basic, are basically the things that annoy you or upset you or outrage you or enrage you. And it might sound weird. You might be thinking, as a, you know, listeners might be thinking, well, this, you know, values are meant to be pretty positive things. Like, why are we starting with um, something like this, something so negative here. And the reason is because I found that just in a scenario where you're doing this with a group or with an, with an individual or yourself, if um, you ask someone, what do you stand for? What's really important to you? It's a bit like, um, uh, well, not, you know, that it takes, and yes, there are exercises to get there, but it's not an easy concept to grasp. It's a deep question. What do you stand for? What's important to you? But uh, if you ask someone, hey, what pisses you off? Uh, there's, there's usually a few things immediately there that are more visceral um, and that really are, because what we're really asking, anti-values values, they're two sides of the same coin. It's the same thing. What we're really asking is like, what do you stand for? What do you stand up for? And when you start to ask these things, like actually, what would you stand up for in public? What do you not stand for? then what we see is, is that we come up with these anti-values. Now, these anti-values are the things that you see in other human beings around you that, that just tick you off. But at the same time, they are more than likely to be representations of our previous selves as well. I know that that's true for me and every single one of my clients that I've ever worked with on values when we come down to it. And that's part of the reason why they're so visceral, right? And they're so immediate and they're so like, they actually stir up emotions and you can physically feel these things in your body when you talk about them. And you can get like I am now, like I'm using my hands more and I'm excited. And, and that's when we know, that's another good stress test. So that's when we know that we have, uh, you know, we're, we're getting somewhere. There's something that give you an emotional, visceral response, and they should have that effect on the, the people reading them too. So I'm going to go through a quick, um, a quick scenario on on how to do this. So few, few relatively simple, but not necessarily easy steps. So step one would just be think of scenarios, think of behaviors, specific instances, if you can, of things that. Uh, of just situations that enrage you. So it could be, for example, when someone's late and they don't say anything, they just rock up and that, that, you know, they're like, Oh, hi. You're like, you're 20 minutes late. Are you literally not going to say anything about this? Um, so that, that could be one. And it could be around where like people think the world owes them something. And if you start to talk about these things, I'm starting to write these situations down. Well, there's probably going to be some overlap between some of these in terms of where they come from. And that's, and that's exactly what we want. But at this point, 
We don't need to think about the words. We don't need to get clever with it. We're just thinking of scenarios that give us a visceral response of, you know, mm, not happy about this. I need to say something. And if I don't say something here, like it's going to grate at me because those are the things that are really important to us. So um, if I just, I just have to watch an episode of Love Island and I see all of these things, it'll take me two minutes to write them all down. Uh, so so that's, that's the first one. Second step then is figuring what out what the anti-value words are. So to give an example, those two pieces that I just said, so someone who is just late and, and really just rocks up like, like nothing's happened and uh, someone who, you know, really uh, acts in, and speaks in terms of entitlement, like, you know, like the, uh, the world owes them something. They think their parents owe them something. The world owes them something, you know, like you owe them something as, as a business. So that to me all comes down to entitlement that all comes down to this feeling of entitlement. And if you say entitlement, I can come up with another 10 scenarios of people and situations in which I see this play out in my daily and uh, daily life working practices and everything else. So that's step two, look at all these scenarios that you've written down and just group them into what might the anti-value words be around this. And you're probably going to end up with I don't know, maybe somewhere between say five and eight or five and 10. Step three then is you've got your anti-value words. Now is the time when you're going to flip the switch. And now is the time when you're going to say, okay, so how do I actually get the, shape these and take these and maybe do a, do a flip? So start to flip these words into the positive. So like in, entitlement for me might be responsibility. And funnily enough, responsibility is, is one of my values. So my personal values are honesty, responsibility, and respect. So, and if you're unsure on any of these steps, if you're thinking, oh, I don't know what the opposite of uh, entitlement is, go back to the scenarios, go back a step. You know, it's probably the same in, in any given system, right? If you're not sure how you got to a certain point, go back a step and figure out what the previous step was, how you got there. Same thing. So go back and look at what you meant about entitlement, and then you'll probably be able to start to figure out what the opposite is. So you then want to end up with, um, with probably... For four, four or five words, ideally, then you look at the overlap between them and get them down to to about three. Why about three? Well, like, what's the magic number three for? It's only there because Steve, if you're looking at, um, if if you're trying to genuinely think about, so I will use these genuinely. I will be in a client, uh, you know, a client discussion, and it'll be a difficult discussion, and I'll have prepped by thinking. How, like, what does honesty look like here? What does respect look like here? What does responsibility look like here? And then I'll present myself like that in, in real time if I'm having a tough conversation. If I'm trying to do that with eight different values, like we're not going to get anywhere, but if I can house it around two or three different things, we're getting somewhere. So once you've done that, cool, you've got your values. Now create va value, like value statements for the gold standard or for the diamond platinum standard like you have, Steve. Then you could create multiple value statements for, for each of them. And, and, and then it's just, you know, it's that, that process, um, if you do it from the ground up, will probably take, I would say, a few hours. And feel free to come back to it and, and not. Um, but, but also, I have done that process in 10 minutes with, uh, with people, uh, with a group actually of different human beings. So yeah, that's, that's the quickest, simplest, and perhaps dirtiest way of, uh, of getting to values that, that I've found. And I'll just, just pause there and see, see what you think to that, Steve. Yeah. I think that's an absolutely brilliant strategy. And it, it, when I 
actually came up with our values. We didn't do that. We just went straight in with the, sure. what are your values point of view? And it was a real struggle. And we were doing it with it, with the, the team at the time, the leadership team at the time in the company. And, um, we spent, you know, a couple of hours sort of bouncing ideas around and trying to think of what's important to us and, and trying to get like a common ground. And I think that is one of the things that really puts most people off from doing it. They read it in the books. They think, yeah, this is great, but they need a system. Yes. And, you know, your system for doing this to just get that brain working in the right way to be able to get the easy stuff out. Yeah. And then what do I do with that to turn it into the, the hard stuff? And that I love this, 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 this systemized approach that you've got of looking at the, the emotional bits, which we can connect with a lot more easily than the, mm. sometimes the more cognitive stuff. Mm. And now we actually go, okay, what, what was the anti, I say the anti of me hating something. Well, that's, a, that's a much easier thing to figure out. So I love it. I really love it. So yeah. And yeah. A cool way that you could do this in a business or in a group. So especially at the value statements piece is, um, is this, so you could take the word and you could say, right, what does this mean? So as a group, bring it to the group, get a whiteboard um, or flip chart or whatever, put this word in the center and say, right, what does this word mean to you? And it's a similar process. So let all ideas come in like allow them to emerge, then start to group the ideas and then start to group them into, you know, maybe three or four pockets of, okay, actually, so we all think that honesty means this and this and this and this, and then formulate sentences around them. And the cool thing about that is, uh, first of all, the inclusion of everyone. And for values, I would say, so vision, top down, that's kind of the way it's meant to be. Like mission, okay, you might want to include your management team or, you know, like your, your top level sort of people there. Values, make them as ground up as possible. And like you said, that can be a scary thing if you've got 20 people in a room trying to figure this stuff out. I think what another cool thing about having this system is values are subjective by definition. They're, they are, you know, appropriate and individual to us. And so you could go around forever discussing this stuff. But if you've got a system, you can go back and say, that's where this comes from. And we all agreed up to this point. So it's just now a case of like figuring out the next thing. And I think it just adds structure to our ability to talk about these soft things and make them into hard things. Yeah. Can I jump in? And just obviously we, I talk a lot about outsourcing and so using freelancers, using virtual mm. assistants, all that sort of thing. And so one of the things that I did was we originally, as I said, did our values with a leadership team. But then when I revisited them last year, I did that with our entire team. Amazing. That includes our part-time virtual assistants based in the Philippines, based in India, wherever they were. And we all got together and agreed on values. And interestingly, shortly after that, two members of our staff, I mean, within the next couple of months, ended up leaving the company. Mm. And so you could see that as a negative. Oh, we've lost these people. But if for some reason, something that came out of that meeting, the, the values that we hold as a company didn't resonate with them, I can't guarantee it was to do with this, but it was just sure. an interesting coincidence that after doing this exercise, after making this public, after really putting it out there, and then when we then reflected on it afterwards mm. and we thought, okay, well, looking at the, the values that we have, did those people that left, did they match up with all of those values? Yes. And there was definite holes. Yes. And so I have no proof of this, but it's a very interesting coincidence that this Well, you say you have no proof, Steve, but actually the proof is in what we're discussing, right? I guess so, yes. In, I guess it is. Proof is in the values. And, you're talking, uh, you're talking to a scientist here. So I have to have, you know. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And actually with, with the, the second book, which will be out shortly after this, this, this podcast, The Right Clients, 
Um, I have a system for that too. And I know we discussed this in our discussion about the podcast in terms of, okay, well, actually there are people within, um, within your business, within your team, like in the wider sense of the word team. So team and outsourcers, uh, uh, but also within um, your clients. And, and sometimes I think you can talk about team here. You can talk about clients here. You get it. You do get a hunch and you get a sense. And, and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, instincts are, um, you know, as a scientist, you might, you, you might find it hard to, to, to trust your instincts, but I think we all do. And, we do, we do. but you know, instincts really, to me are a collection of data points. There are, there are a collection of experience and experiences that, that, you know, that form in the brain subconsciously in a given moment and allow us to say, Oh, don't feel right about this. I feel all this, this feels good. And I think a lot of what this stuff does, the values um, and so on, is allows us to actually look at clients or team and look. So there's a there's an exercise in in the right clients, and it's called green flags and red flags. Uh, and and this is exactly that. So we literally take our values. So I would take honesty, responsibility, and respect, and look at. Okay, at, so because here's the thing, right? I think all of us can say that. We've, you know, we've had crappy clients in the past. We've had great clients in the past. And, and we probably have some of them existing in our business. Probably we could have told who the worst clients were before we allowed them. And that's an important choice of words, like before we allowed them to, to be clients. And probably we could tell who the great clients are. Now we can do that with value. So if I take honesty, responsibility and respect, I can create a set of green flags and red flags. And I can say, Okay, actually, when this shows up in my very best clients, the clients that, you know, that pay the most, the clients that say good things about you, the clients that stick around and stay around, what does that look like in the prospect stage? And then we can also say the red flags. So what does that actually look? What do those things look like in the prospect stage when actually from experience, those people have turned out to be not very good clients. And it's like your recruitment thing. It's just for clients, you know, that if we can call the shots early on, if we can trust ourselves to do that. And I know you talk about trust a lot when it comes to trusting ourselves to delegate and systemize and automate and outsource. So if we can trust ourselves to do that, then we can have some data around our instincts effectively and trust them and see this play out again and again. And then our instincts become more and more valid. And that's part of what I see values do. And uh, I know we talked about a little system on how to take this right back to systemize and, and outsourcing. And I'm happy to, to, you know, continue this in that light, if that helps. Yeah. Um, just before you do, I think that this idea of repelling clients, yeah. is quite a, it's quite a contentious one or quite a scary one for a lot of people because it's right. like, but I, do I not need the money? You know, why would I push somebody away? Yes. Um, but I, you know, I've, I've le learned the hard way that actually the, the time and effort putting into the wrong clients is time and effort missed that you're not giving to the right clients. And actually we are limited with time. The services that we do, no matter how, you know, how outsourced you are, whatever you still have to be very conscious and protective of your time and energy. Right. And that's why we systemize and outsource. Right. So for me, yeah, totally right. It's contentious. It's intuitive, but counterintuitive at the same time. So some pieces that I would say to, to the listeners about this is, so for me, it's not about more clients. It's about more of the, the right clients. Why? Well, because exactly like you said, if 
the more that you give to the wrong clients, the less that you can give to the right clients. And for clients, you can insert humans, you can insert projects, you can insert like products. It, the, the thing it still plays the same. So I've found that actually, you know, when it's like systems, when you create, when you have the right clients in the business, everything works and it just seems to you're creating things They're for your market. You can create like one really cool thing and it speaks to your people really well and helps them really well. But when you, with the wrong clients, everything gets worse. It just feels like you're heading into this kind of spiral of doom because you're constantly running around trying to keep everyone happy. You're not going to be able to do that anyway, because these clients are almost predisposed not to be happy with your work because they are the wrong people for you and you are the wrong person for them. It doesn't mean they're bad people or that you're a bad person. It just simply means that the deep needs that they had well, those are not needs that you are necessarily very good at, at, you know, helping with. So that actually when you've got more and more, so more of the wrong clients is actually a disaster area. Like you're getting yourself worse and worse and worse in a business because you're going to spend more and more time. And there's a nuance here as well, I think, which is that with what I call tier one clients, the right clients, you'll find I'm, I'm, 100% certain that when I'm starting to talk about this stuff, that listeners will be able to um, think to this and think to particular people in, in their businesses, particular clients, and, and, and see this. With tier ones, so that these are the top tier clients, a little bit of help goes a long way. So that, you know, you will be a, you are doing what you do. And these are the types of clients that will come to you and give you incredible testimonials and feedback. And you will literally be thinking, you almost not believe it. You'll be like, I'm just doing what I do. Like, how have I changed your life? But it will be true. Those are tier one clients because you are just doing a little bit, but it's in your zone. It's what they really need. And they can take it and they can run with it. And the tier three clients are the opposite. These are the clients who uh, like, they fill up your head way more than they should. They like, they filter over into your personal life. You don't even understand why you feel so weird and, and, uh, and bad about them, but, but you do. And you're constantly thinking, what will they think? What will they think? If I launch this product, if I make this change, you know, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? And they do, they're loud. And so they say this stuff and that permeate, permeates across the, the, uh, the organization too. And so what happens with tier three clients is you pay a lot of investment into them, time, money, and energy, and get very little back, and they get very little back. So really, when you get rid of some of these or don't have them in the business in the first place and fill that gap with tier one clients, the whole business shifts. The whole business shifts from all the energy that you're spending on the, the wrong clients to you now almost have, and it's going to sound weird until you get to this place, like you can't visualize it, you now have so much thinking time and doing time that you're like, oh, okay, cool. I actually have time to do the stuff that matters and spend it on the people who matter. So that's the nutshell of, uh, of I think, the, the right clients idea. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Really, really powerful stuff. Um, I am coming to the time. I don't want to let you go before I talk about one of the big subjects, the work work worth doing is yes. the subject of your first book. Yeah. And so I want to, we, we touched on it just then. So about creating work that gets you in your zone. And yes. I'm just going to frame this with a, with a 
experience that I had 18 months ago. And that was when I broke up partnership with, with my two business partners at the time. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the products and the services that we were offering at that moment mm-hmm. and went back to my roots. Why did I start this company? What are my passions? And I remember way back when I was, before I even came up with the idea for the company, it was, you know, what am I going to do? Well, how am I going to help people? And it always came down for me to systems. I'm a systems guy. You know, I love systems. I love flow charts. I love technology. Like that's just been my, in my bones since I've done a degree in computing 20 odd years ago. And yeah. I'm a tech geek. So that has always been my thing. Yeah. But then we've done what you just described. Mm. We launched, we got clients. The clients told us their needs and we tried to solve them all. Yeah. And what we ended up doing was doing what the clients wanted us to do. And also probably what my business partners were passionate about, mm. but actually that didn't fulfill my needs and make my work worth doing for me. So yes. I'll open with that and I'll let you talk about this because this oh, is- Oh man, there's so much here. Okay, cool. So a couple of things then. I'm going to nod to a couple of pieces and then maybe finish off with a system for this, the thing that would be appropriate, right? So, uh, so th- let's go back to values for a second. This is a nice full circle, Steve, almost like you planned it. So, uh, so, so business values and personal values. There's a reason I'm bringing this up. So Personal values come from the types of exercises we just discussed. They, they come from the, the human. The, the difference is, uh, I don't think I've ever said what I'm about to say on a podcast before, actually, but the difference bit between personal values and business values to me is that business values are found at the intersection of your client's deep needs and your zone, like where you do your best work. In that zone is everything. In that zone is work worth doing. So the, my business values are similar, but not the same as my personal values. So my business values are personal ownership, mutual win, high challenge, and deep support. And the, the way I came up with those things is, again, through another system, another exercise of what my clients' deep needs, where do I do my best work, and what sits in that intersection. So for example, that's not accountability. If you want someone to hold your hand every day and check in with you, like, I am not that coach I'm the coach that will challenge you hard, support you equally as hard in the moment, in a live day that we're doing, for example. But at the same time, expect I will take responsibility, but expect you to take just as much responsibility back and we will find the mutual win through that. So that's where these things come from. Those values then inform my product creation, they inform my business model, they inform my marketing and everything else. And I can speak about them with clients. They're in my brochures, they're in my terms and conditions, they're in you know my FAQs, all of this material. Um, so work worth doing really is this intersection between uh, your client's deep needs and where you do your best work. What that means is that work on your terms doesn't have to be against your people. Like it doesn't mean that if I want life on my terms, the business on my terms, work on my terms, that like you're, you know, you walk, you're, you're eating your own grandmother to do it. Like it's, it's actually, well, let's find the sweet spot between those things. And then you'll find it's freeing because the right clients love it. They encourage you to experiment and explore that it's, you know, that it's, um, fulfilling, it's financially and emotionally rewarding. All of these ideas around work worth doing come back because now we've got the right clients, we're giving them the right things, we've found that sweet spot. They also work for us. So that's that's the premise behind work worth doing. And the way that it plays into the system is this. So tier one, we talked about tier one and tier three a minute ago. Tier one, we, now, you can apply that to um, people, 
team or clients or potential clients. You can apply it to products like you just said. You can apply it to like, which of my products are doing this within the business? Which are the products are my tier one products where I don't have to, like the business doesn't really have to do a huge amount and a, a lot happens as a result. You give a lot of value to your to your clients or there's a lot of work going on in the business, but the, the value to your clients is stratospheric. Like it's disproportionately impactful. Tier three, which are the products that for whatever happened, like all the best intents in terms of putting this product together, which are the products we're always fighting against? Which do we have to really push to sell? Which just never seem to hit the mark? You know, which do I constantly have to um, adjust and they still don't work and I get refund requests and all this kind of stuff, right? Those are your tier threes. Tier twos are probably the most important. We're going to come to that in a sec. Um, so, so those are products. Projects, same thing. I think you get the idea. And people, same thing. So simply doing that is, uh, is really powerful. But there's one section in the middle, which is uh, unsurprisingly called tier two, which, uh, which I think is going to be probably the most important and most nuanced insight for, for listeners to, to this, this podcast. Tier twos are probably the hardest thing to figure out. So yes, of course, they're the things that are not tier one and not tier three, but what are they really? Tier twos are the people, projects, and products that they are probably the majority of your products. They're probably the majority of your clients. They're probably the majority of your income. They are probably really straightforward. They probably like earn you the money. Um, they are neither here nor there. They're kind of middle of the road for you. So they don't set your world alight. They don't set your clients' worlds alight, but they're just kind of par for the course. There's probably good stuff about them and bad stuff about them, um, but they do a job within the business. Like, you know, we need, we need uh, those things sometimes in order to form that bedrock of, of the business. Um, or there could be separate businesses entirely. And this is where I think that um, systemization and, and outsourcing and automation and delegation really comes into its own. Why? Because first job is to identify who and what is tier one, tier two, tier three. Take a sheet of paper, draw three circles, three concentric circles on it, tier one in the middle, like a target, tier two, uh, tier one right in the center, tier two, second circle, tier three, outer circle. Then section it up like a cake. And those sections are people, products, and projects. So you've got those three sections and then just go to town on it. Be instinctive, be honest, put your people, projects and products into tier one, tier two, tier three. Once you've got those, take a breath, take a step away, have a coffee, a vodka, whatever you need, and then, uh, and then come back to it. And then your next step is this, apply the three, one, two strategy to it. So three is what are my tier three things? How do I get, I won't say get rid of them, but let's say, let's say it nicer. How do we set them free as soon as possible, right? So set these things free, set your clients free, set your team free, set your brain free from all of this stuff. I promise you, your world will open up when you do that. Like your, your message back, like, you know, you'll be like, I didn't even realize that I could have this headspace uh, or space in the business or time to work with other clients. That's your first thing, get like set free tier threes. Don't fill that space with tier twos, because if you want to do work worth doing, if you want to do stuff that's fulfilling, well, that's about the exploration, the fun, the play, the things that are cool that you want to try out, but you don't really have time to, the things that you know can probably help your tier one clients, but you know you just haven't quite got round to it, and maybe never get round to it, and that idea stays an idea, and then you regret it till the day you die. So, you know, like get, get these out, try these tier one things, fill that with tier one clients, tier one, tier one projects, tier one people. Three and one 
Two then is actually the stuff where it's amazing to apply systemization, automation, and delegation, because really what happens with tier two people and projects and products, most businesses are full of them. The problem with them, and I think looking at the, your website, Steve, I, I know your people see this as well, that they, they just expand to fill available time, uh, but they can also contract. And so if we, if we just allow all our time to spend, to spend on tier two, what the problem is, is these aren't going to be the things that set the world alight. These are just the stock pieces of the business. So applying loads more time and energy into this isn't really going to have a huge impact on the business. That's the tier one stuff. So what can you do with this stuff? Well, you can create systems around it. You can box your time and energy off around it. You can apply team and task and systems and outsourcing to it. Then what you have is a really cool business where you've got as little tier one stuff going on as possible, as much tier, sorry, as little tier three stuff going on as possible, whew, as much tier one stuff going on as possible. And all the tier two stuff is getting handled. That's when you get to a point where you've got a business on your terms, a life on your terms. You've got the time, space, energy, resource to be able to find work worth doing, find the things that are fulfilling, create more systems or just whatever floats your boat, really. Yeah. Oh, fantastic stuff. And I just, again, I just, so I've got a lot, I resonate a lot with what you're saying is what I'm trying to get out my word, get my words out, but you're doing very badly. And right now, and this is put it in sort of practical terms, get your take on this, but right now I'm in the process of building my tier two foundation. That is the development of four years of, 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 well, five years nearly now of uh, working with clients of, uh, running courses of mentorship and then figuring out, okay, what is the basic, the, the, the basic level that people need to get to for me to be able to give them the tier one delivery and services that I want to play in the whole time. Mm. And so this is a, a relatively painful thing to do. And just, just to put this in sort of perspective is this, it, although I'm passionate about this stuff, about the, the tier two stuff, mm. it's not the same level of passion. It's not the stuff that actually excites me and challenges me yes. and makes me think yeah. and get up in the morning at four o'clock because I can't sleep because I want to get up and fix it. Because I sort of, this was the stuff I figured out a while ago, but this is the bed going to be the bedrock of the, of the companies. I think, I think just by complete chance, we've actually, or I say, I say we, it's, I guess it's a company, but it's me at the top. Um, I've sort of doing what I think you're suggesting. Yeah. Done the past year, this is just fantastic to sort of hear. So yeah. Can I suggest I a, that's one more little perspective on, on what you just said? Yeah, yeah please well. do. Um, so I think it's really cool to hear you say that, Steve, that because what I hear you doing in real time now, which is an interesting case study for the listeners as well, yeah. is, um, is you've identified what I'm hearing is you've identified that a lot of your time at the moment is going into tier two. So the creation or automation or delegation of tier two. Now this speaks to something else that, uh, I, that is often in my head. It's probably one of three sentences I've said that ever make that make any sense and that people actually listen to. So, um, and that is the thing that we need help with the most is the thing that we help others with the most, right? So as a business and communications coach, guess what I need help with the most business and communications and exactly actually the nuances of that, that I teach to my people. Those are the things that like I need people to help me with. So it almost sounds like actually you've already said in your own words and your own sentiment that this stuff isn't the stuff that really lights your fire. So it's almost 
delegating and systemizing and automating the creation of the tier two stuff. So it's a bit meta here, but you know, actually creating the systems for the systems for the systems is is which is probably how your head works anyway. Is um is is really the aim of the game here. That's one thought, and then the other thought is, and this is um. And another piece of the right clients book is actually usually your your clients, your current best clients are those who are two steps behind you. And that's no more and no less. And so what this could mean here, Steve, is that the stuff that was your best thinking from five years ago is actually almost like it is tier two because it's not quite helping your current best clients. Actually, there is newer thinking. And even though you've invested a lot of energy and time and resource, and there's like sunken cost basically into this stuff, it might be a case of saying, is this tier two or dare I say it? Like, might this be tier tier three for the business at this point in time? And there's another little thing. So there's, um, I think there's a difference between tier two and what I would call a lead in product, which is part of your product ecosystem that brings people into the core of your work. Sometimes an online course or a tier two thing or something that is automated and systemized can work really well at the lead-in stage. So the lead-in stage is classically going to be like a workshop or a webinar or a conversation or a book or a scorecard. These are all things that can be a lead-in. They basically build rapport. They allow you to diagnose problems and they provide a roadmap. That's the definition of of what a lead-in is. So an automated product can do that really well. But that's not the same as like automating tier two stuff, because what I heard you say is what's the stuff that I need my people to do and know and learn before I do like the core of my really, really cool work with them, your lead product. Now that isn't, you don't want to give them a watered down version. You don't want to give them what's a tier two or potential tier three. That's more a chronology. As far as I'm concerned, that's more a what are the perspectives and perceptions that I need to shift at this point in time in order that they are ready to embrace my work as a consultant or a coach when I get into that main work? So uh, I guess what I would say to you, Steve, is probably just do that exercise we described. Be ruthless with uh, with like putting what are actually the tier tier one, tier two, tier three product products or projects. And then when you apply it into the the three one two system, you might actually see that there are some things that you have to let go of. Um, to make space for some really cool stuff. And that's when you'll really start pulling this together and meeting your deep client needs and deep prospect needs with your best work at every stage. And that's when things really start to work. Fantastic. Chat, brilliant advice. And uh, yeah, I can't thank you enough. It's been fascinating and incredibly valuable. Uh, thank you, Steve. Chat really yeah. enjoyed our conversation. Especially Can I just, I just want to finish with two quick questions, if I may. Sure. Um, I know we're time time, so I'm going to skip one of them. Um, but the title, is, the title of this podcast is Systemize Your Success. What yes. does success mean to you? So for me, I think two things. Success is self-defined, and that comes down to your values and your vision. What does success mean to you? To me, is like what it means to the individual. So success to me is my vision, which I expressed at the beginning, is when people, when the world, when my clients, when I feel aligned to my work, my words and my world. So Steve, like if, you know, what is successful in this, in this scenario, well, it will be me helping you feel more aligned to the work that you're doing, to the words that you're using and to your clients and to, to your team. 
So that's that. And to put it in a, in a word, it's fulfillment. So fulfillment is such an important word to me. I think that if you get your work worth doing right, if you get your values and vision right, it leads to fulfillment. So if we were to be, try to, you know, just a simple approach, success is synonymous with fulfillment. What fulfillment is, is up to you. Great answer. And lastly, do you believe you can systemize your success? Yes, in the way that we just described. So in the way that strategically applying systems to appropriate areas of the business will allow you to do more of the work that leads to success, i.e. fulfillment. Fantastic. Chat, if people want to find you, connect with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Best way of doing that is uh, Chet Morjaria. I think, I guess, Steve, you can have some show notes with this, so you'll have the spelling. So just look that up on, uh, on any social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Insta are probably the three best ones. Connect with me on there, uh, shoot me a message. And I would love to hear if you have applied these systems and, and something works. So like if you have done the anti-values exercise, if you've done the tier one, tier two, tier three stuff, and, uh, and you're like, oh, actually, I figured something out there. Tell me, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. And I must just really push this on from my side. I mean, I've come across a lot of these ideas over the years. And I think, you know, the way you describe them now is the most succinct and practical applica- application of values into a business in a different context. And I'm, you know, absolutely um, blown away by the way you've, you've simplified this because this is, it sounds so easy and it is so incredibly valuable. Like I can't stress that enough. This is stuff you need to do in your business. And I think the way you've put it together has really opened my eyes to how I can explore and use this more. So thank you very much. That means a lot. Thank you, Steve. Thank you so much for joining me and listening to this episode. I'm well aware there are hundreds of great business podcasts out there and you chose to listen to this one. And for that, I am truly grateful. Hopefully what you heard today took you one step closer to building a successful business so you can share your passion with the world and serve an ever-growing number of people. If you got value out of today's episode, then so will someone else you know. By sharing with others what has helped you along your way, you will grow your influence and be the guy or girl that everybody wants to know. So please hit the share button right now and also remember to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. It's impossible for me to cover absolutely everything in these podcasts. So please do head over to systemizeyoursuccess.com right now and download the show notes, transcriptions and some of my best frameworks and systems for free. Thanks again for tuning in and being a part of this amazing community. Until next time, this is Dr. Steve Day and you've been listening to Systemize Your Success.